Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Joe Milmine and this is episode 39 of Socks and Discworld, a knitting homage to Sir Terry Pratchett. To laugh again with you, if that's alright. I need a drink. I need a hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today is Tuesday, the 31st of March. How are you all? I hope you're all well and have been since the last time I spoke to you. In today's show, we have a return of Enablers Corner, where I'll share the latest uh, first quarter yarns from the Golden Skein with you, hopefully enabling you to some new dyers that you may not have heard of. We'll have a pattern pick with the subject of Discworld. And the sock surgery will return, where we're going to be speaking with Claire about Afterthought Heels and she will be doing a quick review of Lara Neal's Sock Architecture book. So, grab yourself a large gin and tonic and we'll crack on with the show. So, come in, grab a seat, take your place in Enabler's Corner. This week the chatter is going to be about the Golden Skeins Quarter 1 offering uh, from the Power of Three Club. The photograph for this was provided by uh, Chrissy Fletcher who is the hostess of the Stitch Together podcast and latterly video podcast and we held a competition last, well 2013, 2013? No, it's in 2014, to um. The years all blend into one. Uh, to choose a photograph to be used as the inspiration picture for the first quarter. And Chrissy uh, was voted as the photograph of choice. So as such, she won a whole um, set of these three yarns for allowing us permission uh, to use her photograph. And as a prize for winning uh, the competition. So, I'll share the yarns with you. And the first one is dyed by the Knitting Goddess, who is Joy. She is based up in Harrogate in North Yorkshire. She used to be down in Worthing in Sussex. And I think prior to that, she was on the Isle of Wight from memory. So she's been around for quite a while and she's quite um, a prominent dyer on the UK dyeing scene. She does uh, some excellent colourways and I, ha- I ha- do have a reasonable collection of her yarns already. So I was delighted when she agreed to dye for us and the yarn we chose for that was the Brit Sock Base. Now this is a blend of 40% Blueface Leicester, 20% Wensleydale, 20% Alpaca and 20% nylon which comes in at 400 meters per 100 grams. It's a completely British yarn, British components and British fibers in the blend spun in Britain and um, it's absolutely lovely. It sounds a little bit rustic with the Wensleydale and Alpaca but it's not. It's actually really soft and quite lustrous due to the BFL content and you're also getting that nice uh, strong yarn with the nylon content so it's ideal for 
uh, four socks, uh, hence the name Brit Sock, but I think it's easily soft enough to um, to be worn next to the skin unless you're massively sensitive to any of the yarns therein. It is a variegated colourway that's been dyed and um, it, it goes from kind of very, very pale grey through to lilac and then some through to some dark purples. The inspiration for the colourway was chosen from part of the butterfly's wing because the picture had a had a was an image of a peacock butterfly sat on a on a, a flower and um you couldn't really take all of the colours out of the picture and put it into one skin without it looking like an accident in a paint factory. So each of the dyes has picked certain elements and then expanded upon that, which has created a very broad um, offer in this quarter. And I think a lot of people are quite nervous about how the yarns would come out, but we knew it would be fine. We have faith in the dyers. You know, they've not been successful in dyeing for so long, or, or even not so long, but have produced such nice collections of yarn. If they weren't talented, you've got, just got to put your faith in them a little bit. So the colourway created by Joy was called Golden Wings Flutter By and um, it's a variegated yarn. I think it, it would be perfect for socks. I can also see it as um, the painted pattern that Louise Sassbangham has just released, or indeed any of her, her patterns that are designed specifically for variegated yarns. It would work very nicely, but it, it isn't a crazy variegated because the, the tones are all kept of, of the same sort of value, and it's greys and purples, it's not crazy uh, like the uh, Bartat one was from the previous quarter. So that was the first yarn and it was the Knitting Goddess with a Brit sock. The second dyer is Cedar Garter and they dyed onto the Cedar Quirlig base which is 70% silk and 30% sea cell. That also comes in at 400 meters per 100 grams and the colorway they created was called Butterfly. Now Cedar Garter are a reasonably new brand, a new dye house from Switzerland, uh, which is run by two absolutely lovely ladies, um, Fidesz and Gabby. Uh, if you went to Edinburgh Yarn Festival, you may well have seen them there. They were there with their silky Swiss gorgeousness. Um, the yarns are beautiful. They have some blends that you don't see as often on the UK sort of market. They've got some interesting linen blends and um, obviously they've got the silk and sea cell which we went for because we wanted something shiny to go in with the rustic yarns um, and because it's, it's silky Swiss gorgeousness basically and the colourway created goes from a quite a bright fuchsia pink um, through to some very light pale lilacs and then almost like a silver colour. It is very shiny and very, very pretty. So that I think would be ideal for a shawl. Um, particularly coming into summer, it's nice and, and nice sheen to the, the yarn because of the silk content. Um, so if you haven't checked out Cedar Garter before, I will put a link in the show notes uh, to their website so you can pop along and have a look at the other yarns that they have. And the final one, was Berry Colourful Yarnings. Berry Colourful Yarnings is run by Michelle Berry and she is based in the United States of America. She's well known for her self-stripes, um, which is why, of course, um, 
I campaigned heavily for her to be involved in this quarter. She's dyed uh, the colourway onto her saturated sock self-striping base, which is 75% superwash merino, 25% nylon blend, and it comes in at 423 metres per 100 grams. The colourway that she's created is called Peacock's Revenge, and it is a red, tones and shades of red, tones and shades of grey and black, self-stripe, variegated self-stripe really, colourway. It's amazing. Louise Tilbrook, the fastest knitter in the West, has already made a pair of socks out of it. And um, Procter Goblin has made a Linus, which is a pattern I'll link to in the um, Free Your Skeins feature over on the Golden Skin blog, which is a pattern for, for self-striping yarns essentially. Um, so it's equally good in either, you know, traditional sock format or in patterns that have been designed to showcase a self-striping yarn. What a lot of people have fed back that they've enjoyed about it in particular is that it isn't just flat blocks of colour in the stripes. It does have quite a variegated effect, both in the black and in the red stripes, which makes it a little bit more interesting. It gives it a lot of depth. There are some lovely tones to it. Um... I can't wait to start knitting this one up. She very kindly sent me uh, a skein in, in sport weight, uh, which I am treasuring and looking forward to getting on the needles. We've got some great tips coming up from Claire Divine on self-striping yarns and afterthought heels this month in the sock surgery. So it would be the perfect opportunity to crack that bad boy out and uh, get it on the needles for a bit of a run. So... That was the three dyes from the first quarter of the Golden Skein. In a couple of weeks, probably after the Stephen West interview, I'll share with you the dyes and yarns from the Lean Euphoria Club that we did with Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Um, there are still a couple of odd skeins available from quarter one, uh, so if you are interested and want to get over there, I'll put a link in the show notes to the website. However, in any case, I recommend that you go and check out these three dyers and see if um, they have any colourways that, that work for you. That All three of them are excellent and very good at their own kind of craft and speciality. So particularly for you, uh, for you Britsock, um, British Yarn fans, Britsock is a great option uh, to give a try. And she does a variety of different colourways in that one. So I think it's time to go on to the pattern pick. So as you will all be aware by now, and um, it, it was something that I found quite upsetting when I heard myself, um, Sir Terry Pratchett, the English author and creator of the Discworld novels, unfortunately uh, passed away in early March, just before Edinburgh Yarn Festival. He's my favourite author. He's been my favourite author for many years. He published his first novel, which was The Colour of Magic, in 1983. That was the year I've born. I was born, so I've, I've grown up with the books. Clearly, I wasn't reading The Colour of Magic in 1983, but it was a book I read reasonably early on. I, I was a very bookish child and, and consumed books at a rate of knots. And uh, his have always been... Uh, my absolute favourite books in the world to read. He has published 40 novels uh, during his career, the 41st of which is going to be published in late 2015, and it will be a Tiffany Aching novel. 
more on her later. Essentially, in later years, Pratchett suffered from Alzheimer's disease, um, which eventually meant that he couldn't actually write out his own stories. He had an assistant to type them out for him, but he still um, kept going with the series right up until until recent times when he, he actually couldn't couldn't really manage it anymore. Discworld itself is a series of books uh, and the place is essentially the disc world is a flat disc which was balanced on the backs of four elephants which stood on the back of a giant turtle called the great atuin which essentially swims through space and that is is the disc world it's a flat disc and within the disc world series there are several different groups of characters the first of which is Rincewind, which he was the protagonist of the first book and he was he's basically a wizard of, of very little wizardly ability. But despite being a massive coward, always seems to end up in the middle of extremely dangerous situations. And um, he was the, as I said, the protagonist in the first uh, two books and then uh, other characters started to come in who'd been part mentioned within the books to start with i always well i find the color of ma magic quite hard to get into initially so when people ask me what do you recommend as a first terry pratchett novel i never say the color of magic even though that's the first one because i think other ones are slightly more accessible and the one that i always recommend is uh, mort that is the fourth Terry Pratchett novel to be published and that was the one that ranked highest on the BBC Goodreads list and came in at 65th. Um, Mort features uh, death, as in death is a person, uh, who does appear in every single novel that, that Pratchett wrote apart from We Free Men which was the first Tiffany Aiken novel and Snuff which was a novel about Sam Vimes more on him later but although death appeared in every book sometimes he's the main character sometimes he only has a few lines his dialogue always comes out it's always written in small capitals because the people that he speaks to say that they don't hear him speak it's more that his voice arrives in their head without ever having gone through their ears death is often accompanied by the death of rats who's in charge of gathering the souls of rodents now, as I said, the the book that I always recommend to start with is Mort. This was published in 1987. It was the first book to feature death. And I just think it's an easy book to get into without having to know all the background of, of Discworld and all of the kind of scene building that goes on with that. To understand a lot of, of that background, you do need to read The Colour of Magic, but I don't think that you have to have read that to read the other books. A lot of them stand alone as their own literary piece, if you will. Essentially, the storyline behind Mort is that he's a young guy who should be going into farming, but he's not very good at it. So his dad takes him along to a local job fair and he gets a job just as the job fair is closing as Death's Apprentice. Now, his father is under the mistaken impression that Death is an undertaker, which I guess isn't that far from the truth. Um, but the story then follows Mort's journey to becoming Death's Apprentice and actually how Mort and Death start to take on elements of each other's personality. And 
that is the one that I would recommend to start with and all the people who put together the BBC Big Read seem to agree with me. So um, if you want to access Pratchett's books, then I would start with that one. Um, but a lot of people start with The Colour of Magic and love it. Other groups of people that are featured in books within the Discworld include the witches. The principal witch is Granny Weatherwax. You, you'll have heard Granny Weatherwax mentioned before because... Um, the Knitting Goddess, who is Joy, had done a collaboration with Rachel Coopy, I think in 2012, where they created the When Granny Weatherwax Knits Socks series, where they took different elements of the Discworld books and interpreted them into a colourway and a matching sock pattern. Now, Granny Weatherwax is often aided and abetted by the rather common heavy drinking and smoking sort of a little bit of a free-loving nanny og and they have a couple of apprentices and then they get another apprentice who is Tiffany Aching. Tiffany Aching then stars in her own set of books for young adults where she is a young witch and it kind of follows her transition and the, the challenges of going from a young girl to being a young lady witch. She's often accompanied by the Knack MacFeagle who are a gang of blue tattooed, six inch tall, drunken pixies, um, who are also known as the We Free Men, in no way stereotyping Scottish people at all. They've got kilts on, they're all ginger with beards, they swear and fight and drink a lot, um, and they're led by their chieftain, Rob Anybody. They're hilarious. Even though the Tiffany Aiken series is for young adults, it's totally accessible uh, and there's a lot of jokes in there that maybe teenagers wouldn't necessarily understand but you do understand as an adult they're really really good moving back to the city we have the city watch who um featuring all the books that are set in urban ankh Park, which is essentially london um it's run by a famous kind of alcoholic and drunk called Sam Vimes, who's one of my favourite characters within Discworld. I absolutely love the Discworld um, City Watch books. Um, and the reason for that is that they often feature crimes which have very kind of heavy political or societal overtones to them. So there's a whole extra level to the story that you can read into, which is why I quite enjoy um, the City Watch. I quite like the kind of satire and the parody that that goes on within them but the, the satire and parody is something that is prevalent throughout the series of books Um, the last one that has a few books around him and the more recent books sort of in the 2000s is moist von lipwig who is a professional criminal and con man who should have been executed but lord veterinari the head of of ankh basically gives him a second chance because he believes that his entrepreneurial skills um, could be useful in, in running the city so he basically puts him to work sorting out services like the post office um, and that again is, is quite a funny one because I, I enjoy the ones that are set within the city um, in particular um, as I say technically the donors sci-fi books and yes the world isn't being piloted through space on the back of four elephants who stand on the back of a turtle so in that respect, it is a bit sci-fi and it is a bit made up. But for me personally, and I think a lot of others, uh, the Terry Pratchett book series is more about the parodies, the satire, the humour and the judicious use of footnotes. 
all of his books are scattered with footnotes to explain things at the bottom of the pages, which are often hilarious uh, to read. So that's a bit of a background for those of you who are not familiar with Terry Pratchett. For those of you who are, I hope it's brought up some uh, funny memories. I do have a little passage uh, from the re the latest book that I am reading, Snuff, which does not have death in it, uh, but it does have something about sock knitting. So I will share that at the beginning of the sock surgery with you. Um, but in the meantime, we ought really to crack on to the patterns. So in no particular order, but starting with The Death of Rats, uh, by Steph Conley, who has done quite a few different um, Terry Pratchett-inspired patterns, all of which can be found on her blog, which is steffyface.wordpress.com. I will link to that in the show notes. We have The Knitted Death of Rats, which is a free pattern to knit a miniature death of rats. And it's a little 3D softie, which you knit in the round out of scraps. Um, it's got Additional instructions to sew a little cloak for him and to make him a little scythe out of a bamboo skewer and a bit of card. And she has also created the Death of Rats chart, which is another pattern for a kind of basically a fair isle chart that you could then use to, to decorate a number of things. So, uh, for instance, someone's made little Death of, of Rats um, earbud warmers for the, you know, like for the earbuds, for the, their uh, iPods. Um, some people have made socks with it. Uh, you could use it for a variety of things. I think it's totally valid on a little iPhone cover, just to jazz it up a little bit, you know. And for those crochets among you who may not want to knit a Death of Rats, there is a crocheted version called Rattus Morti by Hannah Kasieben. This is actually a pattern for a crocheted egg cosy. It's free, but I think you could easily adjust it such that you could stuff it and it would stand up. Again, it's made out of scraps of worsted weight or iron yarn. You need about 25 grams, so it's a very quick project. And it, this also includes instructions for crafting a scythe from uh, craft foam. So, you know, fully turned, they don't mess about, you know, these Pratchett fans, it's if you're going to do something knitted, it's proper, it's got all the bits to it. Okay, our third pattern is a two in the great, uh, sorry, a two in the African flower turtle crochet pattern by Heidi Bears. This is a paid for pattern, it's $6.50, and if you're not familiar with Heidi Bears, you will, unless you're hiding under a rock, have seen the Happy Potamus pattern. She's basically designed a range of patterns. In addition to that, that use uh, African flower hexagons and octagons to make different animals, different animal softies, one of which is a little turtle. And she quite often these days asks people for suggestions for names and he was called Atwin the African flower turtle. Um, she has a brilliant blog um, that I will link to in the show notes. I know Claire has referred to her blog before for two at a time tutorials and things. She does really in-depth, brilliant photo tutorials and her range of patterns are really good. If you want fun um, things to crochet uh, and little animals, loads of people have made them now and uh, it's because they're just so pretty and really popular. So definitely recommend you head over there and check Heidi Bears out. We also have the Bloody Stupid Johnson pattern by Sarah Lilly. This is where we start to kind of allude to perhaps it's very British sense of humour. Um, it is a free pattern from Nitty in winter 2007 and the pattern reads Burkholt, 
Stutley Johnson, commonly known as Bloody Stupid Johnson, was the greatest inventor in the history of Terry Pratchett's disc world. His inventions, on the other hand, never quite followed intentions. This particular hat started out as a quantum mechanics assignment and ended up as a warped mass of head-warming cables. So, get yourself over there and, and knit yourself a Buddy Stupid Johnson hat. It's quite nice, actually. It's quite good. Um, Buddy Stupid Johnson comes up in quite a few of the uh, the novels, particularly the ones that are set in Ankh-Morpork. Pork, so I quite like him. Along with Cut Me On Throat Dibbler, who's basically a street street merchant peddling various hot goods of of varying freshness. Um, the next one for you is Mini Discworld by Anxo Cunningham. This is a free pattern for an Amigurumi Discworld. Now, due to the scale of this project, the elephants are actually missing, so it's not anatomically correct for the Discworld, but it's definitely, you know, along the lines of. Um, dead cute little project. I think there's, there's definitely space for that on top of my, uh, my, my computer monitor, along with my mini skeins. And uh, finally, we have the Octarine Socks by Rachel Coopy. This is a paid for pattern. It's £3.50 and it is for a set of knitted socks that are inspired by Octarine. Now, Octarine is the colour of magic. And you'll have heard about this before on the podcast because I'm actually knitting these socks in this colourway at the moment. The yarn is dyed by Joy at the Knitting Goddess and um, she generally likes to keep uh, the Octarine colourway in stock because that's the most popular of the colourways. When they did the series, they did 12 colourways, 12 patterns, all of which are now available in ebook format. However, the colourways to go with them, not all of them are available anymore. Um, I asked Joy about it and she did actually do a very small rerun of the colourways in the last couple of weeks but I missed it because I wanted the luggage which is a brown and pink um, colourway. The luggage is uh, basically a chest that um, you put things into and it has its own sets of legs and it walks around, it follows Rincewind around on his adventures but the luggage has very much a kind of anthropomorphic um, aspect to its personality. And it's kind of like part dog, sort of part feral animal, um, but it's hilarious. Anyway, I did ask her whether she had any plans to repeat them and they did do a small repeat run, but they ran out, they sold out to subscribers uh, when it was publicised in the subscriber newsletter. And what she does is she sends out a newsletter every week and it's basically enabling A to Z. And... Um, you can go through that newsletter to get early access to the shop. And I didn't look at it. I quite often don't because if I'm doing something like going to Edinburgh Yarn Festival, I do not need any external enabling whatsoever. So I quite often will just delete it having not looked at it to stop myself going in there and spending all my money. On this occasion, that was clearly a mistake on my part. Um, so I missed out. However... She is going to do Octarine because she's always kind of kept that in stock and there will be a self-striped version of Octarine available and it will be on Brit Sock and it will be available on Friday at 7 o'clock GMT. Get yourselves over to the knittinggoddess.co.uk and 
crack on to your heart's content, leave it, leave one for me. I do need one in self-stripe. I know I have it. I know they have, I have the original octarine colorway. I need this one in self-stripe too. It's in Brit sock. It's a completely different kind of sock. So we don't even need to talk about that. I don't have enough Wednesdaily moustache. So I'm enabling myself there and I'm going to get some. So that concludes the Discworld slash Terry Pratchett inspired pattern pick for this episode. I hope you will have enjoyed it. I'm certainly in half a mind to start designing things just so I can add to the collection and um, as I said there's a, a whole set of, of socks, 12 socks inspired by the Terry Pratchett and Discworld series so if you want to take it you know enabling to a whole new level get yourself on that ebook 12 patterns 20 quid can't go wrong So continuing with our Sir Terry Pratchett loving, I have a quick quotation for you from the book Snuff. This is a book about Sam Vimes and it was published in 2011. His Grace, the Duke of Ankh, Commander Sir Samuel Vimes of the Ankh Moorpork City Watch was feverishly pushing a pencil down the side of his boot in order to stop the itching. It didn't work. It never did. All his socks made his feet itch. For the hundredth time, he considered telling his wife that among her sterling qualities, and there were many, knitting did not feature. But he would rather have chopped his foot off than do so. It would break her heart. They were dreadful socks, though, so thick, knotted and bulky, that he had had to buy boots that were one and a half times bigger than his feet. And he did this because Samuel Vimes, who had never gone into a place of worship with religious aforethought, worshipped Lady Sybil, and not a day went past without his being amazed that she seemed to do the same to him. He had made her his wife and she had made him a millionaire. With her behind him, the sad, desolate, penniless and cynical copper was a rich and powerful duke. He'd managed to hold on to the cynical, however, and a brace of oxen on steroids would not have been able to pull the copper out of Sam Vimes. The poison was in too deep, wrapped around the spine. And so Sam Vimes itched and counted his blessings until he ran out of numbers. Now, there are several mentions and quotations about knitting at Freddy Throat Discworld books. In fact, Sir Terry Pratchett himself was a knitter, I believe. And uh, at some point there was a... Uh, project put together to make the Pratchgan and lots of knitters got together and knitted squares and they made him this enormous afghan and sent it to him and it was so big it, they had to put it up against one wall from the mezzanine in his library just so he could look at it he loved it he loved it and um and quite often you'll get quotes about knitting usually to kind of parody the sort of domestic attitudes towards women and um yeah, this one was uh, a bit about sock knitting. So I think what we'll do is we'll get Claire in and we'll talk a little bit about Afterthought socks. Okay, so we've done our cuff down and heel flap sock. We've done our toe up sock and now we're on to our Afterthought heel sock. And we've rolled out the self-striping yarns because everybody knows I love a good self-stripe. Uh, in honour of the uh, Afterthought heel uh, month because that's a a heel that particularly suits self-striping yarns. So I've asked our resident sock expert and lovely friendly South African Claire back again 
to talk about Afterthought Heels. Welcome back to the show, Claire. Hello. Um, well, I have to be honest with this one. I was a little bit like sort of had my grump on because I don't really like Afterthought Heels. Um, so I had to be you know, really open-minded because I kind of just wanted to say, I don't like them. They're rubbish. Let's move on to the next month. Um, but I recognize that that's not a sensible way of doing things. And I have to be honest, I've done a little bit of research and I might um, be willing to change my mind. So just as an example of how much I dislike Afterthought Heels, uh, we've just come out of Edinburgh Yarn Festival. I was setting up the stall and um, Easy Knits was across the, the walkway from the Ginger Twist booth where I was helping set up. And I spotted a gobstopper, which is the most amazing yarn. It's this pink and blue and yellow and white called Seaside. So I had to have it. And I'm now on my third heel because I've eventually had to accept that I'm going to have to use an afterthought heel in it because it just destroys the yarn to do anything else. But um, that's how anti-afterthought I was, that I put in every other heel that I knew, I put it into the sock in a desperate attempt not to do um, um Yeah, so that's my sort of preamble to this. Um, and I suppose the lesson from that is actually there's quite a lot out there um, to learn. So if you are anti-afterthought, stick with me. Hopefully I have some gems for you. Um, so apparently it was Elizabeth Zimmerman, all amazing things come from Elizabeth Zimmerman. That woman is just oh, amazing. She sort of used this idea and, and coined the term afterthought heel, though it has been around for a very long time. Um, and, and apparently it's one of the oldest and, and simplest sock constructions. And um, that's according to something I read on Twist. So there's chat about afterthought heels and forethought heels, and I thought they were um, two different things, but actually they're probably in our minds and most people's minds the same thing. So an afterthought heel is um, what I always call as knitting for the brave. So it's the people that like knit a tube with no marker, and then at the end they just cut it with scissors where they want to put their heel in, and, and off they go. Um, and insert their heel, but it's sort of that that braveness of no lifelines, no rip cords, nothing, just scissors. Which I suppose to people who stick might not be that scary, but to me, I'm a bit intimidated about the idea of cutting open my sock. So a forethought is a pre-planned heel, and that's what we may know is when you knit to a point um, and you do a number of calculations, and you knit to a point, and then you put in that waist yarn, um, and then you continue knitting. So you then have that little bit of waist yarn where you're going to place your heel and at the end you come back and you pop in your heel or your heels or if you're like someone I know um, and I won't name her but um, you leave your sock for ages and then pop in lots and lots and lots of heels um, at once when you eventually get round to it. So that is a, a drawback of afterthought heels is that you sort of have that element of finishing to do. I suppose it's a little like um, second sock syndrome. So that's sort of the, the concept of the afterthought heel is that you knit a tube and then you're either brave and you just take a pair of scissors or you're like me, not so brave, and you insert this, this um, waist yarn where you're going to place your heel and you come to do the heel at the end of the sock. Can be knit top up, top up, oh dear, toe up, top down, um, both pretty much the same. The calculations are slightly different and... Um, 
I'll have to see. I did do an afterthought heel calculator for Joe. Uh, maybe I can work out a way to put that online. Though you do have to listen to the instructions, unlike Joe, else you won't get a good result, will you, Joe? No, don't go around asking YouTube for advice when Claire Devine's already sorted you out. <laughs> you can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a backstory, I made this calculator for Joe, and then she told me that it didn't work, and then it transpired that she'd used all the calculations, but used a method she found on YouTube that was different and then ended up with sort of a long floppy sock that didn't fit her dainty northern feet. So, um, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it said after the afterthought, once you kind of picked all the stitch up in the heel to do a few rounds, you'd have enough space for your heel. Complete rubbish. Don't listen to that woman. Don't know what she's talking about. Um, so I did the other one and I did it in the prescribed manner. And guess what? It worked. But I still haven't ripped out the other heel yet to fix it. So, Oh, dear. Um, well, it's not. So the my main problem with afterthoughts <clears throat> is that I often find that they're difficult to get a good fit. And I think many people find that um, in the same way short rows, and we'll talk about short rows uh, next month, but they, the ratio um, ac across sort of the instep, um, what you have with a heel flap and gusset is that you can, as we've spoken about before, you can lengthen the heel flap, which increases sort of the, the gusset ratio, whatever, which makes the, the, there's more room. So if you have a higher instep, you can lengthen your heel flap and that sort of gives you more space for your higher instep. With a typical afterthought heel, the one where you take half your stitches, you pop in your waist yarn, and then you do a wedge shape, so pretty much a toe. But on the heel, you don't have those extra stitches, and you don't have the, that as much control, so people don't get as good a fit. Um, but there are a few different methods for changing the construction of the heel, which will help with fit. And the reading that I've done for this has actually convinced me that there might be different afterthought methods that would work for me, thereby saving myself stripe um, from the certain doom of me trying to put a um, heel flap in and ruining the stripe sequence. And we'll talk about self-stripes next time, I think, in two weeks. But um, I'm going to put up a whole list of... Um, resources and patterns that have afterthought heels but not as we typically know it um, and that's sort of the typical wedge shape which is essentially a toe on your heel um, in a hope that I can find a, a good afterthought sock for me and that maybe you can find different afterthought sock heels um, for you if you don't like sort of the standard one but just as an example you can add extra rounds like Joe did but you do need to then take into account the length of the foot, which is where we had an issue before. Um, there are also all sorts of different ways um, to adjust that shape um, in the heel. And then don't forget that you can also do different types of general heels. So you can do a swirl heel, um, which I used in Ossa, and Rachel Coopy uses quite a lot. Um, you can do a hat style heel, which gives you a slightly rounded heel as opposed to that trapezoid shape of the, is that word, trapezoid? I think I just made that up. I think I know what I'm trying to say, but. I think it probably is trapezoid if it was going to be a word. Yeah, because I mean, cube, cuboid. Yes, maybe it is. Parallelogram, not sure what that turns into, but. Paralleloid, yeah, no. <laughs> Octoid, um, the, the, yeah, anyway, we digress. 
So I found all sorts of interesting patterns that I can't really explain, um, though I am frantically waving my hands um, at this point in time. No one can see that, so except for my neighbors, which probably think I'm a lunatic. But anyway, so there's a couple of ones, a couple of really good free patterns as well, which I know people always love. Um, nitty patterns, so they're, they're well written and edited, etc. So that, I suppose, is my, my main sort of overview of the Afterthought Heal. Um, I'll pop up some links for some tutorials that I found. Um, I found a really good one from Crafts from the Witch that talk, walks you through in a three-step process with great photos um, and a cat boardy video as well. Um, so that's always handy. So there you have it. That's my introduction to Afterthought and my explanation of why I may try Afterthought Heals again. Super, well, we'll look forward to seeing those links from you, Claire. Thanks very much. Thank you. And then just as she was on her way out of the door, Claire had an idea. So we've got a new section in the sock surgery and we'll welcome her back to tell us all about it. Hi, so we're going to be introducing a sort of a new segment as part of the sock surgery because I'm acutely aware that um, there's, while there's a lot of things to learn about socks, there's also a lot of inspiration to be had and I wanted to talk about some books um, that I love and that, I, that I've come across and that I think would be useful. So each month we're going to be doing a book review and hopefully along with that book review we'll be doing a lovely giveaway as well. So the first book that I'm going to be reviewing is Sock Architecture by Laura Neal. And um, this is an, an excellent book that I sort of had in my library and I, I wanted to talk to you about because I think given where we're going with sock surgery, I think it's a very useful resource for people to have. So this is Laura Neal of Math Bonitas, her blog. Um, if you've come across her, she has lots and lots of free patterns and she's been around for quite a while um, with free sock patterns. So she's quite well known out there. And she published this book in 2014 through Cooperative Press. Now, um, I bought my copy a couple of months ago and I've really, really enjoyed going through it. Um, it's the kind of thing that I love to read, but then that's me. Um, so let's just have a look. Sort of the general overview is it's an extensive book. It's got 138 pages of sock chat um, and it's quite detailed technical sock chat. It's really for people who like the engineering of socks and want to know about how things are put together and want to change their socks. So I know um, Isla had asked a question a while ago about sort of inserting different heels into different socks. And um, this book is would be a great resource for that. And we're also going to talk a little bit more about that um, in, a, in a sort of a, a few months after we've finished with short rows. So each, um, you've got top down, you've got toe up in the book. Each has a, a number of different heels. And each section, um, you're walked through sort of how the heel is constructed and the various points about the heel and or toe um, and pros and cons and about fit issues because not everything suits everybody. Um, so really there's so much information in her book. It's, um, it's a real treasure trove. Now often we find with books that are very heavy on information they can be difficult to navigate. But one of the things that I really like about this book is that it's really easy to navigate. It's got a clickable table of contents um, and each sort of section is clear. There are a lot of tables and um, the maths because naturally with something like this 
there is the element of maths, and I know some people don't enjoy that. The maths is fairly well broken down. Um, you're still going to need to do your own maths, and a calculator will help, but it's quite clear what she is expecting you to do. Now, um, the book does have 17, if my memory serves me correct, 17 sock patterns. Each one comes with five sizes and then a um, additional sort of formula to work out your own size because the idea is that you can work out how to make any heel or toe fit you perfectly based on your sock measurements. So there's lots and lots of information in there. Um, I'm going to do a more detailed review on my blog and put some pictures up. I suppose the high points for me was there was a wonderful sort of snapshot of history and uh, the bit I really loved was there were some inspiring sock ideas from museums and I really like this sort of, especially with socks because there is a rich history and tradition in sock knitting, um, the, the sort of drawing on the past and, and bringing it into modern knitting traditions and using that inspiration in your socks today. So I, I really enjoyed that section. Um, I suppose a, a low point, one of the things that I didn't like about the book, um, and it's not the end of the world, but everything was photographed on a mannequin foot. And while I don't mind this for the heels, uh, and I know it's tricky to take photos of socks on, on people, um, and it can be a right pain, I would have really loved to see the socks on actual people. I think it makes a really big difference to the, the sense you get of, of a sock. But I suppose this book isn't really about designs and aesthetic. It's more about nitty-gritty technique and technical data. And she's got her, all of her bases covered there. It's a really, really comprehensive book. So um, I wouldn't recommend it for newbie knitters. If you've never knit a sock before, I wouldn't use this as your first resource. I think you need to use something a little bit... Um, simpler um, with less options so you get your head around things but once you've got your head around sock construction and you're starting to get interested in sock construction this is a really great resource and um if you're like me and you like the sort of technical aspects of socks it's an absolute must-have purchase um not maybe for the patterns necessarily but definitely for all of that juicy information she gives you it's um you, you really can't go wrong the where can you find this book it's available from Cooperative Press, the uh, great publishers who publish all sorts of fantastic knitting books. Highly recommend having a look at their site if you're um, in need of some knitting literature. You can buy it as an ebook only, which is the option that I chose, um, and that's $16.95. I think they automatically include VAT, so I'm obviously within the EU, um, so I think my price automatically includes VAT. So if you are Lucky to be outside of the EU, you might find that it's slightly cheaper. Just a word on that. And um, you can also buy the print book with the PDF download, and that's $26.95 with $16.95. I think I said pounds. I'm too used to working in, in pounds. So $26.95, that's for the print book and the PDF book. And then postage is on top of that, which in all honesty is a reason why I opted for the ebook. That and the fact that I seem to move house every two seconds and don't want to have to pack too many books. Um, so that is Sock Architecture by Lara Neal of Maths for Knitters and published by Cooperative Press. So definitely check it out, have a look. You can see all the patterns on Ravelry and you can get all the details from the Cooperative Press website. And before I forget, I will be doing a giveaway on my blog 
Um, so there'll be the full review on my blog, lots of pictures and details of the giveaway. You'll just need to comment um, with your favorite sock knitting technique um, or heel. And uh, I'll pop all those details on the blog as well as the closing date. And that will be one copy of the ebook for a lucky winner. Thank you. Super. Thanks, Claire. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. If you have been enabled to the ways of Terry Pratchett, there is a read-along ongoing in the Caithness Craft Collective uh, podcast group with Louise, who's also a big fan of Terry Pratchett. Uh, so if you have been inspired to pick up one of his books and have a little look, uh, you can uh, have a bit of chatter over there if you would like to. Don't forget to head over to Claire's blog. She already has up links to the Afterthought Heel uh, tutorial and collection of, of resources, which is excellent. It's very comprehensive. And uh, also there is the uh, her written review and the giveaway up on her blog as well now. So I'll put links to those in the show notes. But as always, it's yarnandpointysticks.com. And if you don't want to go down the... Uh, you know, e-readers or anything else like that, um, RSS readers rather, route. When it comes to mon monitoring the blog, she does share all of her resources that she puts together, um, along with any other useful ones that she thinks um, you guys might need in the Shiny Bees podcast group. So come on over and join in. Very friendly. You can take part as much or as little as you like. We really don't mind. Um, but that is a quick and easy way to access all of that in with your sort of patterns and things on Ravelry. Also, don't forget, we've still got the giveaway ongoing from Jess at Ginger Twist Studio. For the Flumps Chunky, that will close this Sunday coming. Um, so if you haven't gone over there yet uh, and made an entry, you can do so in the Ravelry group and the draw for that will be on Sunday. So have a great week. Happy crafting. Speak to you all again soon. Thank you for listening. Bye. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided via Music Alley and it is Adam and the Walter Boys and I Need a Drink. I need a drink. <laughs>